Good morning. How we doing? Hottest day of the year, and you're here at church. Good on you. But you're also smart. You're perceptive, because if you've been around here for any period of time, you know that we don't have air conditioning. So you get here early. Good on you. We do have an industrial swamp cooler, uh, which is having water put on it this morning, which helps a little bit. Um, But yeah, it's going to be a little toasty here for second service. So you made the right choice today in two ways. Good on you. Good on you. So we're going to have some fun this morning uh, and hopefully be challenged. Uh, I think God's got something in store for each and every one of us this series. Uh, It's going to be a fun series as we explore the humble beginnings of the church. Uh, They're humble in a couple ways because they went from about 100 people to several thousand people in in just a matter of weeks. Um, So it it really started at nothing and and grew rapidly. In fact, by the time uh, about 300 A.D., um, there was estimated that there was about 7 million people that had proclaimed Christ as their Savior by then, which is substantial. And you're like, 7 million, that doesn't seem a lot. There's lots of millions floating around these days. There's, you know, 8 billion people in the world. There's all that going on. So it may not seem like a lot, but at a time when there was 40 times less the amount of people on the planet estimated, I mean, that was a substantial amount. In fact, if you kind of transpose that to today's time, it'd be about the size of the United States. Uh, that's how many Christians there were in that that time by 300 AD. So it really went from nothing and, and became something incredible. And as we look at humility and what that means, it, it's evident throughout the book of Acts. You see how the early church conducted themselves. Um, because how many of you know that when uh, at least two people get together, things can be difficult because we carry our own pride and without humility, even just in a friendship or a marriage context or something like that, um, it, it can be really hard to just get along, right? And now imagine you're throwing people in from different ethnicities, different cultures, different backgrounds, all of them proclaiming Christ. It's like, how are they ever going to make it work? It requires humility. And, and so we look at the humble beginnings of this church and it just baffles me looking back how this Jesus movement really took off. Because when you look at it, um, Jesus showed up and he starts calling people to follow him who are, who are tax collectors, despised people in culture, uh, people that were zealots, that were kind of on the margins, on the fringes, you know, militant people. He, he took people that were fishermen, you know, just kind of a blue-collar job. And, and they just took these people that uh, w- wouldn't, you wouldn't like in your fantasy football draft look at that and be like, I'm going to pick all the scrubs and we're going to take over the world with these scrubs. And that's essentially what Jesus did. I I think he loves a good underdog story uh, because he's given glory through that because you can look at that situation and there's like, there's no way those guys pulled it off. But they did somehow. So there's something else there. Uh, in fact, as we look at the the life of the the, the disciples, the the Jesus' inner group, uh, we see uh, recorded in different areas, maybe not even in scripture, but uh, ancient historical writers, they give us accounts of how some of these disciples died, believing, I mean, they went to their death, oftentimes joyfully or, or, you know, with boldness and confidence. Um, uh, We see Peter, who's one of the primary figures in the book of Acts. I mean, he was crucified late in his life. He was crucified, well, at, at the end of his life, he was crucified. I guess that goes, yeah. Uh, so he was crucified, but he's like, yeah, don't, don't, don't do it like you did to my Lord. And so he's crucified upside down. 
and you see Paul, uh, you know, the real primary figure in the book of Acts. He was beheaded in Rome sometime later. And then, and then there's, you know, uh, Philip, uh, uh, he, was, he was killed. You have Matthew was stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Andrew, Peter's brother, made it up into modern-day Russia uh, where he was finally crucified there. And all these people went, went to their death believing that Jesus was the Son of God. And it's just incredible to me to see that. In fact, estimates that, that, that the numbers of martyrs for, for the Christian faith were in the tens of thousands by the time Diocletian in, in the early 300 AD um, came to power and really started pushing against the Christian movement until finally they said, you know what, there's something to this Jesus thing. And Rome adopted uh, Christianity as its preferred religion. And so it's pretty incredible just seeing that early moment and the humble beginnings of that and what it took to really take this movement from, from nothing to something incredible. And, and, and you remember Jesus kind of called them to do this. So if we look at the, the verse that we explored a lot last week in Acts 1.8, he said, you will, this is Jesus talking, he says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He had called them to, to go do something with the, the grace that they had been shown, with the miracle that they had been given. And we talked last week how about how, how we start that when we practically begin to love God, believing that as we love God, we're then able to truly love others, and then we're able to go out and do something. So we talked about that's, that's kind of the starting point. That's how we begin doing things. So we also reading this, for those of us who proclaim Christ, for those of us who are Jesus people in here, um, we have the same calling on us to love God, to love others, and to go do something. But, but even for the disciples at that time, I, I have to imagine there would have been some, uh, some pause or some like hesitation or, or some kind of just like, how is it that we're actually going to be able to pull this off? The magnitude, I mean, look what he's saying here. Your witnesses in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was a place that Jesus had an angry mob crucify him in. So you're already going to have to go face that. You're going to have to go uh, in all of Judea, which is a large area, uh, also, the ends of the earth is another large area. You know, you're going all over the place. And then Samaria. It's interesting that he points out Samaria because Jews and Samaritans, they did not get along. So you're going to go to the people that despise you and that you despise, and you're going to go tell them about Jesus. So, I mean, this was a hard, difficult, uh, maybe overwhelming or seemingly impossible task that they had in front of them. How were they to pull this off? Was it just as simple as loving God, loving others, and doing something? And I don't know about you, but I, I've faced times in my life where I've had tasks laid out in front of me that I look at and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I'm pulling this off. Like we talked about it a little bit last week. It's like, okay, you have a baby and you got the baby for the first time. You're like, what? Like, it hits you finally. Like, this is real. But, it, but it, it gets deeper with that too. It's like maybe you've made it to a place or maybe you're in a place now w with, your, with your marriage where you're like, I don't know how we're going to make this work. I mean, truly, unless there's a miracle in this situation, like there's no way we're going to be able to get through this point. And, and it extends to all different uh, areas. It could be a job. It could be a tragedy that you're facing, a diagnosis of you or a friend that you're just in a position or maybe you've been in a position before where you're just like, how am I supposed to, uh, how am I supposed to beat this? Can I beat this? Is it even possible? And so we're faced with these things. And, and, and for me, 
You know, I, I just think back to a time, uh, and this is kind of a funny example, but uh, looking back, it wasn't funny at the time, but uh, I had my first opportunity to have a real job uh, when I was like 19. My uh, friend who was a little bit older than me had, a, had an awesome job. He was working at Boeing in Portland. And so he, he looked me up and he's like, hey, Timmy, uh, I have a job that you might be interested in. It can get your foot, you know, in the door of Boeing, which is an incredible company. And, and, and it's just a great opportunity for you to do that. And I'm like, really, me? Like, I think, you think I can do that? I'm like, all right. So, you know, I did the first thing that was important. And I went and bought a polo and some khakis. So I'm like ready with my business casual, you know, showing up to the job. And the, the first thing that tipped me off that this is a real deal, they had a guard shack. So pulling up to the guard shack, I'm like, man, this place is legit. So I get in and I'm getting briefed on this job. And then it's having to do with like IT and printers. And, and granted, this was like, man, now I'm like dating myself and that's weird. So I don't feel that old, but now it sounds funny when I say it. But it's like looking at all these printers and, and it's like all this stuff about printers that I didn't really understand. And I asked them, I'm like, so what am I, I don't know these things, these terms that you're using. I, I don't know the ins and outs of a printer. I don't know what it means that it's a dot matrix or whatever, what kind of network it connects to and how it connects to the network. Like, I don't know these things. And they're like, oh, you know, you just kind of ask the people and uh, you'll figure it out. And I looked at the situation and I'm like, this is so far beyond me. But hey, you know, they're paying me. I'm making more money than I've ever made before doing this. By the way, it's not a good way to take a task on. So I took it on sometimes, but, but I just want to lay this out there. Like the job, the task at hand was, it was impossible. Like I, I didn't know. Like it's like two pages of questions about these printers. And I have no idea what more than half of them mean. And so me being a 19-year-old being told, hey, it's not that big of a deal, I took that and ran with it and uh, didn't fill out half the paperwork, made up the rest. And I was just like, yeah, it's probably fine. But I found myself like walking through these buildings, you know, half of them say like, you can't have your cell phone out in this area if it's proprietary, you know, super, yeah, I, have, I had actually a pretty high security clearance too, which was crazy because I didn't even know the layouts of these different buildings I was going into. And people were like, who are you? And I'm like, honestly, I don't even really know. I'm just the guy doing something with printers and I don't know what the task is. <laughs> it was bad. And sometimes I just lay the part of the story out that pertains to my message and people ask me afterwards how it turned out. Well, you can guess how it turned out. The first time I turned my paperwork in two weeks into the job, I did not get called back and we never talked about it again. So that's why it's kind of funny at the time. Again, it wasn't funny. But the point is like being faced with something that is just seemingly impossible. I mean, it leaves us in this place like, how are we going to pull this off? Or what, is there, is there even a way to, to pull this off? And again, you may have been faced with times like this in your life where you just felt like you're up against a wall. And I have to feel like the disciples felt like that at a time. And certainly us, even for those of us who are Jesus people, you may feel like this in your faith from time to time. When you experience impossible situations, again, like the loss of a loved one, like the tragedy that we faced here in Scappoose just a week ago, whether it's the fires going on in Maui, maybe that affected you and, and some people that you know, and you just look at all the, all the stuff in the world. I mean, honestly, you look around at the world sometimes and it's just daunting. It's just overwhelming. It's like how, as Jesus people, are we even supposed to give hope? How are we supposed to preach the truth in love? How are we supposed to even take on this task of going into all the world and sharing our faith, sharing the good news about all that Jesus had done? And sharing faith, honestly, it can be scary, it can be awkward, it can be painful at times. And being a Christian can just feel lonely, even if you're not facing a lot of things. 
Um, and, and again, just the, the, oftentimes the situations that we face in life that we know that they're going to be daunting, they're going to be overwhelming at times. So in light of that, I just want to pray for today. God, would you speak to me? Speak through me to everybody here. Impress on the hearts and the minds of people in here um, your word and what you would have them know. Would you fill us with boldness? Would you fill us with hope this morning? Holy Spirit, we need you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. So in light of all that, I want to continue on to, uh, through our narrative throughout the book of Acts. And I want to take you to a, uh, an event that happened uh, in the temple. And it's important to know that this is the same temple uh, precinct, the same area which Jesus, not too long before, was sentenced to death and crucified. So it's important that we keep that in mind because a lot of times you go from the Gospels and you get into Acts and you're like, when is this? When is this even happening? You can kind of miss that part and the significance of it. So we're going to pick this up in Acts 3 verse 1. God had, or Jesus had just given the command to go into all the world. He had ascended into heaven, left them with the work that they need to do. And we see Peter and John, two of Jesus's inner circles, two of his boys, you know, they were close um, and we see them in a, in a situation laid out before them that just seemed like an impossible task. Like there's no way. There's no way they're pulling this off. So Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock service. Again, this is significant. This was a place where Peter had just ran recently, like hiding, lied, denied even knowing Jesus to people. I mean, this is significant. They're back in this place, they're showing up to church in a place where they got some church drama going on, some serious, serious stuff. And it says, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day, this man, he was put outside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. So he sees Peter and John coming. And verse three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. And I love their response here. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. <laughs> look at us. So the man gives them their attention as if he's expecting to get something from him. And, and see, the point here is that they're looking at, or this man is looking at Peter and John like expecting something. He's expecting, he's like, maybe they have some money. And they're looking at him and they're like, what, does it look like we have money? I mean, in this culture, even more so than now, I mean, clothes were uh, the sign of, of wealth. And, and so, I mean, you're talking about a tunic that the guys are wearing that probably looks like it's a few years old. You know, it's maybe tattered, it's dirty, it could be stinky. You know, there's some stuff going on, there's some funk going on in there. You know, uh, whereas if someone was walking in like a priest or someone, you know, more wealthy, it would be obvious and he's like, look at us. We don't have anything, but it's interesting what he does then. Then Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. I mean, what a powerful statement. He's like, me, us, Peter and John, in and of ourselves, We've got nothing to give you. We have nothing to give you, but we know somebody who can give you something. And it's as if, like, I feel like this is maybe the key to sharing our faith. 
in our own humility, like we see the humility of Peter and John in this, or like we don't have anything that can actually fix your situation. We have nothing to offer. When it comes to sharing our faith, I think we need to same, take the same approach. When people look at the fruit in our own life and they're like, they're, they're asking you like, well, how, how is it that you're having peace in this situation? How is it that you overcame that impossible situation? Uh, oftentimes we forget this, but we need to go here and get to the point of, uh, of understanding that I am nothing. And this is what Peter and John were doing. Like, hey, me by myself, I'm nothing. I got nothing for you. But I know somebody. Like we need to get to this place where it's like, I, I'm nobody, but I know somebody. You know, because that, that's where the power comes from. That's where, that's where the ability to overcome comes from. And so you see them in their humility in this place, just like, hey, I, I got nothing for you in and of myself, but I know somebody that does. And then Peter, it says he took the lame man by the right hand and he helped him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and they were strengthened. There was a miracle done that day. He said the man, he jumped up. He jumped up and he stood on his feet and he began to walk. And then walking and leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Why did he go with them? It was because the impossible just happened. What, how, where else would he go? He's like, that, my, I couldn't walk. And, and it says it's significant. He couldn't walk since birth. I mean, he'd, he'd been this way his whole entire life and, and the impossible just happened. And I think this is incredible because you see this word, I think it's the only time it's used in the New Testament, the word leaping. And the significance of this is that it's actually an allusion back to uh, Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 35, 6, when he's talking about the messianic age, when the Savior, when the Messiah comes someday. And granted, you got to remember, this was like four or 500 years prior to Jesus coming. He's like, when the Messiah comes, people are going to be leaping in the streets because of his goodness. And I love how Jesus even takes this stuff a step further because I don't even know if Isaiah knew that the people that would be leaping were people that earlier that day couldn't even walk. And now, now they're able to jump in the streets and jump with joy. And that makes it, to me, it just makes it so much more special. And it says, all the people saw him walking and he heard him praising God. When they realized it was a lame beggar they had often seen at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Why? Because someone who couldn't walk is now jumping and praising God. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. So that's Acts 3.11. Throw that up there. We good? Okay. There it is. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Now again, Looking at the situation laid before Peter and John, it's impossible. You can't do that. You can't make someone's legs straighten out and heal. Like, how, how is that even possible? Yet, somehow, it happened. And again, it, 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 by their own admittance, it's not by their own power. It wasn't something that they had in and of themselves. But what, what was that that they had? How was it that they were able to pull off the work they're, they're, they're doing what we talked about last week. They're loving God, loving others. That's kind of a given in this moment. But now they're actually doing something. They're doing the work. But again, it's, it's not really them doing the work, is it? It's like they're, they're being willing, but anyway, let's, let's look at the story and where it goes after this. Peter saw this opportunity, and he addressed the crowd. He said, people of Israel... What is so surprising about this? 
And why do you stare at us as if though we had made this man walk by our own power or by our own godliness? He's, again, he's, he's taking the credit off of himself and he's giving it to God. He's like, you think I was able to do this? It wasn't me. Look, it was somebody else. And you guys should know this, by the way. This is the God that this whole temple kind of exists because uh, the God that you guys all look to and have looked to for, for generations and generations, for thousands and thousands of years. He's like, you, got, you should know this. He says in verse 13, for it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now he's going back in this Jewish context and and speaking to what they already know. It's the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this, this task, this healing, this miracle. This is the same Jesus, by the way, whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate, who's a Roman, his decision to release him. He's like, hey, we gave you all the chances to get out of this, yet you proceeded with it anyway. And then he goes on even further. Again, the, the boldness of this is incredible. He said, you rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. He's talking about Barabbas. They were given the choice between these two. And they said, save Barabbas and we're going to kill Jesus. He said, you killed the author of life. Wow. Like, where do you get this boldness, Peter? But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses. We saw it. We are witnesses to this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed. And you know how he was crippled before. You guys all admitted you saw this. You guys were astounded because this man that was crippled, that couldn't walk from birth, that you saw every day was now made a whole and he was able to walk. And you saw this. And faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Again, to, to me, just looking at Peter's resolve here. And his boldness, his incredible boldness. How did you do this, Peter? How could you stand up in the midst of these people that had just crucified Christ in the same place just a few weeks before this? How is it even possible that he came to this point? If you read through what you should be reading through Acts this month, if you're not already, you still got time. There's 28 chapters. You, got, you can do it two chapters a day. We'll get through it this month. But if you read through this, you'll actually see as the story continues that 5,000 people through this sermon were added to their numbers that day. Like you would think, okay, a couple hundred, that's a good number. But 5,000, and when you look back at the numbers, was somewhere just over 3,000 by, by the accounts that we have at this point. It more than doubled, almost tripled in size, the Jesus movement from this moment. It's like, how is that possible? And you look at Peter, like, well, maybe Peter. I mean, if you look throughout Europe now, you can see Peter's name and his likeness and his influence all over the world. I mean, all over Europe especially. You see places named like St. Peter's, St. Petersburg, anything like that. There's, there's basilicas and amazing uh, art and, and buildings like dedicated to St. Peter because he was a total baller. I mean, he was like the original pope. This guy, like, I mean, he, he was the church starter extraordinaire. He did some stuff. So we can look at Peter and like, well, he was able to do it because it was Peter. But again, Peter is looking, he's like, no, it wasn't me. In fact, if you look at Peter, and I think he would tell you this, so I'm not ragging on him too much. You can ask him when you get there. But Peter... Just weeks before this, remember Jesus uh, was, was arrested and taken to the temple courts. And Peter like kind of weaseled his way in there, shows up. There's like a little girl in there. He's like, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? And he's like, I don't even know him. 
It's like, that, that's Peter. Peter's a coward. Up until this point, he was a total coward. He had, I mean, he was, he, he, he had made mistakes. He had denied even knowing Jesus. They, they sent the women out to the temple or out to the grave because they were all hiding in the house. They're like, oh, you guys go check it out first. I mean, this was Peter just a few weeks before this. How could Peter go from zero to hero in this time? I mean, it's incredible. And, it, and it's almost as if it's not of himself that he was able, even able to do this. Just a few months or just a few weeks before, he was a total just like nobody. Yet he became somebody, and he did things that were miraculous and incredible. And so when we look at our impossible situations, and we look at the impossible situation that Peter and John were faced with, I think if we go back to that command where Jesus said, you will be my witnesses, sometimes um, this part is overlooked, even left out. It's forgotten. But let's see what Acts 1.8 in his entirety looks like. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You will receive power. There's the power that we're talking about. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He's like, you're going to receive a supernatural power by through which you will be able to do the impossible. Those tasks lined out before you, the things that you're facing during that time, you will be able to proceed with hope and with boldness because of this, not because of who you are, but because who who Christ is in and through you. Our mission, great commission, for those of us who are Jesus people, is not dependent on us. It's dependent on God's work through us. And it's that slight twist that oftentimes gets misconstrued or misunderstood. I mean, I grew up in a church, and maybe I'm just preaching to myself this morning, where I, I just kind of had this backwards. I'm like, no, you got to work. You just got to work. And it's like, you know, whatever good comes out of it. Even the, the, what we talked about last week with loving God, loving others, and doing something, that can become religious, Again, if we don't get the first one right, if the things that we're doing isn't flowing out of a place of intimacy with Jesus, then, you know, it's it's pointless. Our good deeds are, you know, they're nothing. And so it's got to be in that order or else we miss what God is really trying to do here. We're able to, as Jesus said, to do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, Paul, a primary character in, in the book of Acts, would say this later in his letter to the Ephesians. He says the same spirit, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, that did the, the greatest miracle that ever came to humanity, lives inside of those who believe and who trust in Jesus. I mean, the, the, the way that Peter was able to, to do what he did was not because of something that, that he did and drummed up himself. It was only because he was being obedient and through his obedience, Christ worked through him. And it's important that we keep that straight. And, and it almost could be said in this little cheesy saying that I made up this week is it can be said like this, is that our job is to do our best and then to trust God with the rest. Right? It's to do our best. It's to be obedient to God and then to trust him with the rest. And it, again, it is just a slight course correction sometimes that we're not responsible for the outcome, but we are responsible for the obedience. 
And then he's able to work through us in, in ways that we can't think or imagine. The work that we have laid out for us, the things that you're facing, the, the tragedies, again, we could go through the gambit, the marital struggles, the, the fact that you have a kid that's rebelling, that you're like, I just don't even know how we're going to get through this. It, it just seems impossible. The, the, those, those moments of our life where we're just like, I, I don't know how we're going to overcome. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. We can approach those with boldness and confidence, knowing that it's not us, but Christ through us. And that's where we get the strength. That's where we get the power. That's where we're able to pull off the impossible. He's able to pull off the impossible through us. The fact is, is when we follow Jesus and we look to him for our source of hope and for, to him for our source of strength, for him, to him for our source of joy, we're able to face impossible situations. And I'm not telling you he's going to give you whatever you want in that moment but he's going to be with you through it. Now, I was faced with a situation like this a few years ago. It was a moment where uh, I was just kind of coming into, and I'm not going to get into the whole story today, but I, I was a new youth pastor. I'd been doing it a couple years, and, and it was a summertime, so it was actually in August, and it was just this kind of lull. And I just kind of began rethinking everything. I'm like, is this... And really, I was probably just listening to the enemy. I was like, is this really what you want from me, God? Is this where you want me right now? Because there's things that are getting at me. There's areas of my ministry that are frustrating that I don't think are fruitful. God, is this really where you want me? And I was just struggling through this. And I told my wife, and at the same time, um, you know, we had two young kids, and they were very young at this time. And, and I was just, just unsure and frustrated. And at the same time, my wife, who is an incredible human being, um, and she, she uh, uh, has worked previously in, in palliative care, end-of-life care, hospice care. And, and uh, it just so happened that uh, one of her friends that she did a work project with um, in, in her undergrad pro, uh, back in like the, I don't know, 2010 or something like that, um, that they were getting to the end of their own life. And so she was like walking through this process with the husband who was about 93 and he was suffering, he was struggling and he was, uh, you know, within a, just a couple weeks of passing away. And, and one day I showed up to this guy's house with Brianna and I'm, I'm just like watching her just work through this and it's pretty incredible because she's just talking about, you know, death as if it's normal and all this stuff and I'm like, this is terrifying, like I don't want anything to do with this. It was tough, but watching her do her magic is pretty, pretty cool. And so about a week later, again, I'm just in my own head. I'm just like, what, like, God, what, is this really what, what you want from me? Is this where you want me to be? And um, so I did what I do in those times. Um, I, I went and I was praying and I was picking mushrooms. Now, if you don't know me very well, I, I pick mushrooms for culinary purposes. It's not that kind of church, you know. So be interesting. Um, so I was picking chanterelle mushrooms in the woods and praying. And I came back and my wife's like, hey, would you make some soup for us? You know, he, getting towards the end of his life, Chuck was struggling. And, and she's like, he can, he can eat soup. And so I'm like, I'll make a soup. And the soup I made was pretty good. I'm not going to lie. It was tasty. And I sent it on, again, just completely in my own head. I'm like, yeah, I can do this. But my heart wasn't in it at all. And my wife goes and delivers the soup, has a conversation with him, comes back. 
again, just in my own little world, faced with the situation where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this, God. I don't even know if I should even be a youth pastor anymore. You want me in ministry? Like, what do you want to do through me? She came back and she told me this. Um, she's like, yeah, Chuck loved the soup. I'm like, well, naturally, it was delicious. Of course you're going to love it. No, but Chuck loved the soup. And, and, and he told me in that moment, because I was sharing with him your struggles. Um, and he said something back to me that I think he wants you to hear. And I'll never forget this. It was so powerful and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Again, just days before he passed away. He said this. He's like, tell Timmy, God's not always going to give you what you want when you want it. It's like, okay, well, that's true. But God's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. And it just, again, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like, how? What? What? It just rocked me. That's reality, isn't it? It's like the hope that we have in Jesus. He may not answer the prayers the way we want it. We may not overcome the situation like we had hoped or we how we may not see our lives pan out exactly the way that we had drawn it up. But the promise that we have of Christ in us is that whatever we face, that we're not going to be alone. Again, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives inside of us so we can proceed in the midst of those situations that just seem absolutely impossible. We can proceed to those in boldness and in confidence that we can have joy in the sorrows of life in the deepest pit that he's right there with us, that we can find peace in situations that don't make any sense when we see tragedies in our own town or abroad that we're just like, how, God, would you please make sense of this, that he can give peace in those situations that we can find hope even at death's doorstep, that this isn't the end, that he's going to walk with us through this life and into the next. Come on, you can find purpose in life that's struggling to find meaning in everything else. This is what's possible when we allow Christ to work in and through us. It's taking that stance of understanding that the things that we do and the things that we're faced with is that it's not I, but it's through Christ in me. Right? The, the, pos- the way that the impossible is made possible is by the power of Christ in me. It, it, I'm able to do it not on my own strength, not I, but through Christ in me. We can face the impossible. We can be hope in a hopeless situation with the power of God through us. He can do the impossible through willing people that are humble and receptive to him and allow him to work through us. And so as a church, I would just encourage us that we'd walk in these truths, that we'd walk in the understanding that the things that we have in front of us that seem impossible, that they're able to be made possible through his work in and through us. And so as we go into this last song today, Just as Luke said, we're going to have a place over here of prayer for the tragedies that uh, are facing our community right now with the death of a a young mom and her two children. So whether you're directly affected, you knew the family, you knew the kids or or whatever, we're going to have people over here, we're going to have a prayer team in the cafe to pray with you. If you're someone whose heart is is just stirred for the, the, the brokenness and the pain, that's ensuing because of that. 
We're gonna also have this area for you just to pray on behalf of the people affected, the firefighters included that, that so bravely pulled bodies out. And we just wanna pray for all of it over here. So you can do that during this last song. I wanna pray for us. Jesus, would you give us the strength? Would you give us the understanding? Give us the resolve to trust you in whatever it is we face. In the name of Jesus.